Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. I'll be seated for a minute. The countdown happens and the cheers just erupt everywhere. They jump up with joy. They jump up with smiles. They've just now got their boxes. They're opening them and it is so much fun. This could be the first present that they've ever received. Operation Christmas Child Gifts really touches children's heart. <laughs> During distribution, we tell children that there is a God who created us and who loved us. Jesus loves you. Ah, good. <laughs> Isn't it incredible to see the impact these simple gifts are making in the lives of children all over the world? What amazes me the most is the miracles in each box. Jesus said, let them come to me. And we're in the middle of bringing the children to Jesus. Many children around the world still need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So keep packing. Thank you for your continued support. And God bless. This is one of my favorite times of year as we get ready to celebrate. A new life in Christ and all around the world, Samaritan's Purse is using a small gift to bring the joy 
and life that comes through the eternal gift of Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you guys, join with us. We're going to continue to give. Uh, we have our Operation Christmas Child packing party coming up November 17th. And so we would love for you guys to come be a part of that. A few more items we still need, washcloths, small toys, and coloring books. And so there's a box right outside here. We'd love for you guys to continue to donate and then put this on your calendar, November 17th. Come join us. It'll be a super fun time of packing these small gifts so that children around the world can hear the good news, the eternal gift of life in Jesus. So let's join in prayer as we continue to worship together. Lord, thank you so much for your love, your goodness, your spirit's power and presence in our lives. And Lord, as we gather, we continue to worship you. Help us, Lord, to worship you with our heart, with our mind, worship you in spirit and truth. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand again. We'll continue to worship together. One thing I think it's worth being reminded of this morning is, you know, where do we direct our worship? a lot of times we we sing and we think God is out there somewhere. He's up. He's really, really high up, right? I'm reminded today that Jesus said true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And what he's talking about there is that worship is a close, intimate experience. And it can be that way because the Holy Spirit's in us. So when you sing this morning, direct it internally. He's in you. He's not out there somewhere. Closer than a friend. Sing out the blessed assurance we have in Jesus this morning. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Right. 
Oh, no. 
don't take our inheritance lightly this morning. Lord, that in addition to the hope and the new life that we have in you, Father, you, you bless us abundantly with spiritual gifts. You give each of us a calling and anoint us to walk forth in that calling. Father, right now we we may need to step into a calling. There might be folks here this morning that feel under-equipped or confused or anxious about doing whatever it is that you've laid on their hearts, Father. In Jesus' name, we say, get that out of here today. We know that you're our hope. You're everything we need, Lord. And the good work that you began in us, you will, you will carry out to completion. We trust you, Father. We lift up the name of Jesus this morning. Our living hope. Set down from glory. 
very body began to breathe out of the silence. excluded. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We ought to praise Him. We ought to get excited. Some of you are, but I see some of you are not. We ought to be excited when we come to this place. And we get a privilege and honor to worship Almighty God. Wow. Are you breathing this morning? <laughs> Amen. Let me take these out so I can hear you. Are you breathing this morning? Some of you are. Some of you, I think, are just about gone. So I'm going to pray for you, okay? I'm going to pray for you. Father, we just thank you this morning for this privilege. Someone has said earlier this morning, we didn't have to come here today. Yeah, we chose to come here today. And I'm so glad we did. I'm so glad we did. So that we can worship you, Lord. And we can give you the desires of our heart this morning. As the psalmist said, let everything that has breath praise our Lord Jesus. Take this tithes and offering, Lord, this morning. And just do as you see fit. Be with our pastors. He comes and brings a message to us this morning. And 
be with this congregation. It's a different congregation that's ever been here before. And Lord, I know, I know that there's hearts that are broken. I know that there's hearts that are heavy. But Lord, I know that you've got it covered. <laughs> you got it all covered, Lord. You know every situation. You know every need. And you've covered it. And we thank you for that. We love you. It's your name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, amen. So good to see you today. So glad that you're here today. Uh, we're going to continue in a series that we began a few weeks ago that's in, simply entitled All Things to All People. I think this morning we had a, uh, golly, uh, I'm going to call it a spiritual jolt. Really had a spiritual jolt this morning and, uh, you know, sometimes things don't happen like you expect or like you plan or which even anticipate. And a lot of times we find ourselves literally uh, flying by the seat of the Spirit's pants. And sometimes He does some pretty neat stuff when that happens. Well, I don't know where you are today. And I don't know what you walked in with today or any challenge or difficulty that's going on in your life right now. Uh, I don't know the buttons that the evil one pushes in your life to get you out of sorts or get you sideways. I'm confident that he knows those buttons. I'm confident that he knows what he can do. The evil one, the spirit of darkness that comes against us. I know that he, uh, he's kind of got your number in a lot of ways. And he knows situations to use. He knows circumstances to use. He knows people to use that can trigger a memory, a thought, something that happened in your life maybe years ago. And you can just be like walking with the Lord and just feeling His Spirit and sensing His Spirit. And then all of a sudden, you're just hit with a curveball. And I mean, He just throws you a good one. And the next thing you know, you find yourself reeling, just going back. Uh, to a dark place, a difficult place where you found yourself at one point in time. And uh, sometimes it's easy to forget uh, where the Lord's brought you, what He's done in your life, uh, His goodness and His grace over you, the sufficiency of His grace, the mercies that are fresh for you uh, every single day of your life. And so right now, let's just take a second and let's just speak the cross over whatever the evil one uses to to come against us. Can we do that just in your where you go in your heart and your mind and maybe today you find yourself on a journey of discovery and realization and and you may feel very hopeless or helpless with some things going on in your life. But why don't you just right now just bow your head with me and and just speak the cross and speak the resurrection over anything that uh, has challenged you uh, this morning or this past week. Today we are...
coming back to the series, All Things to All People. And this is really about having a heart to be for people what God would like for us to be, what they need uh, in a moment and in a time. All things to all people. We're reminded of Paul's words when Paul said, to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. This is a heart. This is a missionary spirit about being for others what God would like for us to be for them. Paul's heart was for people to come to know the Lord. And he found himself in all kinds of situations and circumstances. And he was constantly adapting, changing, being flexible, being whatever people needed him to be because he knew that it wasn't about him. He had to get over himself so people could be introduced to Christ. So God used him to pull walls down and to build bridges for the gospel, all things to all people. But then, once people came to know Christ and were in the body of Christ, his heart was for the church to enjoy peace and unity, to love one another, and to accept the fact that people are on different parts of their own personal journey. And, and people have different convictions about different things. And we are not to be in a position of, say, judging the weaker brother and, and of drawing feelings of being con having contempt toward others and looking down upon others be because they might not be where we are, but of truly loving one another and understanding a very, very valuable principle that God is God and no one can be God but God. And God's more than capable. He's more than capable of dealing and ministering and guiding His children. Today we turn the page. Romans chapter 14. We'll read the text together. And then we'll walk through this together. Romans 14 beginning in verse 7. For not one of us lives for himself. And not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you. But you. Why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. But rather determine this. Not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. 
I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Father, we just yield our spirit to you right now, God. And Lord, only you by your spirit can speak to each life that is here. And Father, that is my prayer. That is my hope. That whatever someone is thinking about or dealing with or whatever distractions might have been there today, God, my, my prayer is that somehow, some way in this time together, uh, your spirit has been able to speak a special, specific message to each heart. And Father, maybe for some of us, it's just a matter of tuning in, giving our heart, giving our mind, and, and just saying to you, God, I trust you have something for me, and here I am to receive it. We trust that your spirit will be our teacher and be our guide today, and we just thank you for the opportunity to be together, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen and Amen. Well, what a journey this has been over the last few weeks of, um, of looking at what it means to be all things to all people. Having a heart for people, having a love for people, having a heart of compassion, seeing that move outside of the body of Christ, and then, and then seeing it come right here with us. And recognizing the fact that, that where you are today and where you are spiritually is not maybe where you are, where you are today, where you are spiritually and recognizing the fact that where you are and where you are today spiritually is not where you are, where you are today spiritually. That God has us all as his children. He has us on a course of working in and through our lives. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about where he's taking us. Where is he taking us? This journey that you're on, this journey that I'm on. But here's one thing that I know that I've experienced in my life. When I gave my life to the Lord and as I began to uh, walk with Him in my early adult years, I do know that if God had dealt with every issue that I had in my life at one time, He would have killed me. Can I get an amen? If God had dealt with every single issue that I, that I had in my life or have in my life or will have in my life, even things about me and, and my person and my character, if he dealt with everything all at once, he probably would have killed me. It would have been, it'd have been too much for me to be able to withstand. So I have to recognize the fact that, yeah, there might be some things going on with you and in your life today that God wants to deal with, but there's a host of other things he's going to deal with and needs to deal with before he gets to that one thing. God's infinitely patient with us in our lives.
And He's the one that has His hand on the thermostat of our lives. His Spirit is the one who's guiding and directing. And not only do I need to know that about me in my life, but I need to have the compassion and the wisdom and the discernment of the Spirit to know the very same thing about your life. So when we move into the section of Scripture in this teaching, Paul acknowledges, he understands there are a host of issues that believers deal with. And over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about some of those issues. Convictions that you may have about one thing that you don't have. Or maybe at one point in your life, you had this, one, you had this particular conviction, this opinion, this strong opinion. And we know that opinions, those are the things that you have. But convictions are the things that have you. When you have a conviction, it has you. It guides, it directs. And there's spiritual reasons and there's spiritual implications you've discerned in your heart and in your life about your own personal convictions. Opinions are the things that you have, but yet convictions are the things that have you. And you may have a host of opinions or convictions, strong feelings about some things in your life, some things that you can do as a believer, things that maybe you feel like you shouldn't do as a believer. There might have been things years ago that you thought, I will never, I just don't see my Christian freedom moving in this way. But now today, I see it different. I live it differently. Uh, uh, for example, I was listening to a minister speak the other night and he was talking about ministering to a congregation that had just recently gone through a split. And you know what they split over? Birth control. Is it God's plan? Does God want families to use birth control? Or is the Lord overall and, 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 and they can just trust the Lord with however many children they have in their lives? Here's another one. And, and we got a message the other day. On our Facebook page. And I'm not making a lot of this. I promise you. And I'll explain it to you. Okay. We got a message. It was on our Facebook page from Messenger. And maybe you're, the, you're here today and you sent that. Again, I'm not making a lot of this. I'll address it. So don't get ticked off and walk out when I say this. Okay. They asked the question on our, our, our Messenger. On Facebook through Messenger. They said, um, does your church celebrate Halloween? We're looking for a church that does not celebrate Halloween. Well, for those of you who know me and know my sense of humor, I wanted to reply back and say, no, we don't celebrate Halloween, but we sacrifice chickens on Thursdays. <laughs> you know, as if the determining factor of a church choice is on Halloween or no Halloween, right? Again, I'm not making a lot of that. I mean, I don't know where your convictions are. And for those of you who know me, my convictions and where I have been personally throughout my life with my family. There were years, I mean, we spent Halloween at Yaya's Island and Chuck E. Cheese. And, and we did those things for reasons of our own family and conviction. But you also know that many times in the life of our church, we've used the fall, we've used Halloween as times to make an impact on our community, to reach out, to try to be light. And some of you are going, I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay? But some of you do. Some of you will have certain convictions, and some of you may not have certain convictions. 
Can you imagine what the church back then would have looked like if it was the church today? The issues that Paul was dealing with had to do with dietary restrictions. There were those who uh, felt like that they could only eat vegetables based on their religious convictions. And there were others who came and said, you know what? Everything at the church potluck and on the buffet is open. It, we're free to eat those things. They had spiritual convictions. But understand this. With the different issues that are addressed in the text in Romans 14, Paul's assumption is that wherever they were landing in their lives, they were landing there because they had a spiritual conviction about certain things. For Paul, context here in the book of Romans, what you could eat, what you couldn't eat, some people saw a particular day as being a holy day. And you were to observe it a certain way. Others were like, no, every day is the Lord's day. You don't have to you know, set that day aside just for the Lord and, and, and do things on that day to honor Him. And, and Paul's coming along and he's saying, listen, folks, those of you who eat vegetables and those of you who eat everything... There's a place for you in the body of Christ. There's a place for you. Those of you who, who feel like, you know, a day is a particular day and it's holy and, and, and whichever. And that's, yeah, that's fine. There's a place for you in the body of Christ. And for those of you who see every day as being the Lord's day, guess what? There's a place for you in the body of Christ as well. And yes, there would be theological convictions and understanding of God's heart that could move people and lead people to change. But Paul's point is unity, peace. These are important in the body of Christ. And we are to be infinitely patient with one another on these different convictions. We could also say this. We could also say that there are some things that are in Scripture that seem to have a very clear biblical precedence and when it comes to those things that have a clear biblical precedence that lines up with the heart of God I have a choice to make am I going to try to make scripture in God's heart conform to my life or am I going to let the spirit work in me so that my life conforms to the clear precedent of scripture in God's heart let me say that again we will all deal with issues in our lives and when we come to see God's heart on a matter we have a choice to make will I insist that God conforms to me or will I allow my life with the Spirit's power and help will I allow my life to be conformed to the heart of God and by the way every single one of us today in this room we might be facing and dealing with an issue right now where we're confronted with that truth. God's heart versus my path of life and where I am today. Will I yield to His plan or am I going to try to force God to yield to my plan? Typically, who wins out in that deal? Ultimately, God wins out in that deal. And we're going to talk about that in this text. But can you imagine if the church back then was like it was today? 
You'd have like the first vegetarian church down the street. You'd have the second vegetarian church. You'd have the first meat eaters church. You'd have the second non-meat. I mean, it would be crazy what it would have been like back then if it was like it was today. Because historically what has happened, historically the church has divided on issues. This came out of our history. Some have ascribed this thought that I'm going to share with you, a quote from Augustine. Some have said, no, I think this was John Wesley. Others have ascribed it to other people, most likely not from those two guys. But this comes out of our church history. What I think is a pretty important principle. It's a quote. It talks about essentials and non-essentials. And I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. It says, in essentials, unity. In essentials, unity. Non-essentials, liberty or freedom. But in all things, charity, which is love. And some of you are asking the question, well, what are the essentials? What are the non-essentials to the faith? Me personally. I think the essentials can be summarized in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Which is one of the earliest creeds known to the church. When Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he shares his heart about the certainty. Watch this. The certainty... Of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and belief in that. The certainty of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and faith in that. He is actually quoting in that section of scripture one of the earliest creeds that came out of the church. And it was a sentiment that was held within the body of Christ. What is an essential? Faith. In Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. From out of that, we might arrive at things that we call non-essentials. We might even see that there might be some things that are scriptural. And some people might want to pull some things that they see as biblical into the essential category. But outside of faith in Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, it seems to be... That we can be at different places and it's okay. As long as God's spirit is leading us and growing us and teaching us along the way. So again, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But notice what he says after that. Out of the church history. Again, ascribed maybe not, not to maybe Augustine or Wesley. Some thought they had these sentiments in their theology. But from history but in all things, charity. In all things, love. That we are never to take a posture on any issue or difference that is not one of love. And one of compassion and one of understanding. Paul is operating, when he, when he writes Romans chapter 14, he is operating with the assumption that whatever are your convictions and whatever is your personal conscience of your life and your walk with God, that your, your beliefs are truly convictions that you have 
in regard to the Lord. So this is why he says in verse 7, For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. No matter where you might be. This is like an illustration he's using in the text. Wherever you might be, living or dying, whatever your position is, the assumption is your convictions are to honor God in your life. That's why he says, therefore, whether we live or die, notice this, we are whose? We are whose? We are the Lord's. Who does the buck stop with? It stops with God. He is the one who is able to lead God and direct his children. So this heart here in this section is about not judging or looking down at brothers and sisters who are different than us with contempt. Verse 9, for to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why, why do you judge your brother? Why do you judge your brother? What position or place does that put you in? When you do that. Last week in the first part of this. We entitled the message. Watch this. Free. Not to judge. Today. We're flipping it. It's free. Not to be judged. Do you hear the difference? One. Is on the part of. You having freedom not to look at where a brother or sister is on any issue, theological, social, personal, and looking down your nose and drawing conclusions about them spiritually that are harmful or judgmental or causes separation. You're free not to judge. But also, there is a freedom that you and I should have not to be judged. In other words, I think it should speak like this. No matter where you might be on certain issues, you're safe here. This is a safe place for you to explore, to study, to search out the heart of God. This is a safe place for you to be at one place on your journey that somebody else may not be at. This is a safe place for you to wrestle with things and deal with things and ask tough questions. Do we believe in absolute truth? Absolutely. Paul identifies the brother who thinks he's still enslaved to dietary laws. He identifies that brother in the first part as being the weaker brother. Hadn't got there yet. Hadn't arrived at the conclusions of his freedom in Christ. Are there absolute truths? Do we search out God's heart? Do we make decisions about conforming our lives in regards to God's life? Yes. Do we stand on certain convictions that we feel like God has taught us and brought us to? 
And then we say to others, hey, we think you need to see this like this. We want to teach and guide, instruct and disciple and love you to these same places. Absolutely. But you will never disciple anyone until you give them the freedom to be right where they are. If you insist they be where you are, and you insist they have the same convictions, and you insist they have the same theological understandings from the get-go, you will not disciple that person. Because discipleship requires coming alongside a person with compassion and understanding as to where they are, and then God's Spirit uses you to bring them along in their life. Free, not to be judged by our brothers and sisters in Christ. So why do you judge your brother, he asks in verse 10. Or you, again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? Why do you do this? Do you not know? Do you not know? This does not build bridges of growth. They build walls of division instead. And this is what he comes to as the reason we do not need to take that posture or that take that position. He says, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. And he appeals to Old Testament scripture when he says, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, there's debate in the Christian body as to exactly what he's talking about. Is he talking about the great, uh, great white throne of judgment that we read about in Revelation chapter 20? That from my understanding seems to be talking about unbelievers being judged. Is he talking about what is known in scripture as the judgment seat of Christ? Also known as the Bema seat of Christ. Where a believer's deeds or works are judged. And let me give you an example of how this might work. It's like someone who works in a factory. You have a place in the production line. Your job is to build or to put into place a certain thing. And then you build that and you do that. And then it goes down the line. But then at some point in time, it reaches somebody who's responsible for quality control. And then what they do is they inspect what came down the line, what you sent down from them. And so what's judged is not the person who sent it down the line, but what is judged is the, the work or the deed or the thing that came from that person. It seems that the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, is where believers' deeds, what comes down the line is observed. But guess what? Who is the one who ultimately inspects and looks at and determines if it has eternal value or not? Who is the one who does that? It's God. God is the one who does that. Uh, people will many times talk about a believer's life and they'll say, but hey, won't we know them by their fruit? It's biblical. Yeah. But listen to this. Fruit is just confirmation of their identity. 
Fruit doesn't cause them to have their identity in Christ or not in Christ. The fruit is just the confirmation of their identity. And if Paul would be saying anything here, I think Paul would be saying, and by the way, God is the one ultimately who inspects the fruit. Not you. God does not call us to be quote-unquote fruit inspectors in the lives of another. Does this mean that I might see something in your life that I think is harmful or not wise? How might God want to use me to come alongside you? Yes. Hopefully we've all been used in our life, each other's lives. Oh, I've never thought of it that way. Really? I didn't know. I didn't know that was God's heart. Oh, wow. Thank you for loving me enough to come alongside me and encouraging me. Thank you for letting your life be used by God's Spirit to guide and direct my life. Thank you. But when it comes to accountability, something that's really important that we got to understand is this. Accountability will not work the way it's supposed to work unless you and I both agree on what we're trying to be held accountable for. There has to be a growth and an understanding of God's heart. Before I can come alongside you and say, you know, Steve says to me, he says, you know what? This is just random. Um, I, I chew the eraser off pencils, okay? And God showed me in his word that I, I'm not supposed to do that. It's just not healthy, not beneficial. So, so I'm like, and, I, and he comes along, and one day he says, you know what? I've had this habit all my life, and I, and I just chew the erasers off pencils, and it's really hard for me. But now, you know, I, I see this in Scripture, and, and maybe we did a Bible study, and I see this in Scripture now, that, I'm, that this is just not wise or beneficial to other people and, and all this stuff. And, and I say, Steve, you know what? You're exactly right. About 10 years ago, God brought me through the same thing. And I see it so clearly in Scripture. Now we can hold each other accountable. So I see Brother Steve a week after last and saying, Hey, bro, you got any number twos on you? And, and, and Steve is like, uh, yeah, I actually have six of them. You want me to look at them? You want me to look at them for you? Pulls them out and I'm like, well, you're five out of six, bro. And he thanks me because the spirit there is to pursue the heart of God. But ultimately, God is the one who presides over his children. Be like a mom or a dad walking in and, and the kids have been into it. And so the older kids decide to have a trial for the younger kids. And I mean, they are just running them through and, and they're asking all these kind of interrogation type questions. And mom and dad walks in 
And, and, and mom and dad boys said, what are you guys doing? They're saying, well, we've got a trial here. A little brother here, you know, he did this or whatever. And, and so the older kids are trying to, you know, they're being judge and jury and trial. And, and they, I mean, that kid's certainly scared to death. They're going to whip him and beat him and all this stuff. And mom and dad says, why are you doing this? We're his parents. We're capable. You don't have to play this or be this for him or her. I think it was Paul's theology that everyone, all people, believers and unbelievers, ultimately answer to God. For the unbeliever, what do they have? What, they, what can they bring? Their stuff, their, their deeds, their works, their, it's all they've got. It's all their sin. And everyone be recompensed. Accordingly so. But for the believer. But for the believer. To stand before God. There is only one plea. And it is nothing that I bring. Or nothing that I've done in my life. Or nothing that I have failed to do. For the believer. We can only plead the blood of Christ. It is Jesus. It is Jesus. God says, what do you have to bring? And there's only one answer for the believer. It is Jesus. It is His grace. It is His blood. It is sufficient for me. I can only plead the blood of Christ. He is good enough. He is faithful. It is His life, burial, resurrection. It is what He has done. I can only plead the blood of Christ. And therefore, as a believer, I don't have to fear. I don't have to be afraid that God is going to bring all my sin back up. Like a big, show it on a big movie screen. And, and make me go through all the sin that I've committed in my life. And, and, and give an answer to every single one. Because after all, the scripture says that he has cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. And the scripture says as a promise of the new covenant... He will remember our sin no more. Christ has taken the judgment for our sin. And the believer does not have to fear the judgment of God. We plea the blood of Christ. Verse 12, so then each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, verse 13, we'll wrap up here. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. But rather determine this. Not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Let us conclude. We will not judge anymore. And you can work out with the Spirit of God if you think it's essential or you think it's not essential and where you need to land. But he says, let us not judge anymore, but resolve to do this. To not put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. And some people will say this. Because we don't want a brother or sister in Christ to fall or to fail. 
And to that we would say yes and amen. But that's not the heart here. The heart is not living our lives in such a way so that a brother or sister doesn't fail. It's not the heart. The heart is being used by God in such a way that a brother or sister can get to where God wants to take them. Arriving at the place he has for them. Not just to keep them from falling, but to help them to get where, get to where God is taking them in their lives. I care about you reaching your destination. And I hope you care about each other getting to the destination. And it's not heaven. So that you'll love each other in such a way that you'll be for one another what you need to be a help and encouragement to come alongside one another. And to reach the destination. What's the destination? You got to come back next week. I'll tell you what the destination is. Paul shares it with us in the book of Ephesians. But he's all moving us. He's moving us all along. To a goal. And he cares so much more. About you getting to the goal. Than just not you falling or failing in getting there. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.